Be sure to check out Sylvie's Love, now on Amazon Prime Video. Set in Harlem in the 1950s, a young woman meets an aspiring saxophonist in her father's record shop, and their love ignites a sweeping romance that transcends the changing times. Watch Sylvie's Love, directed by Eugene Ash, starring Tessa Thompson and Namdi Asamoah, and produced by Moth Board member Gabrielle Glore on Amazon Prime Video. Welcome to the Moth Podcast. I'm Dan Kennedy. This week, we're talking about togetherness on the podcast. And I don't just mean the obligatory family dinner during the holidays. Instead, we're looking at what it feels like to really connect with your loved ones. And if you're anything like me, you're experiencing some tightness in the chest right now, shortness of breath, bear with us. Or maybe I'm just projecting onto all of you well-adjusted Moth listeners. But you're going to find out with these stories that while it's an intimidating prospect to connect with our loved ones, it can be deeply rewarding. First up, Luke Rodehorst tells a story, and he told this at a story slam in Ann Arbor, where the theme of the night was Love Hurts. Here's Luke live at the Moth. Um... There was something different in her voice when she said, "Um, Luke, you need to sit down. Um, I picked up the phone and it was uh, my my girlfriend of three years. And she said um, that she had cheated on me uh, while she was was on her summer break. And uh, this was my, she was my first everything. The first person I said, I love you too. We loved each other um, very much. And it was one of these desperate, desperate loves for me. And this was towards the end of high school, right? Um, where everything was more dramatic. Uh, and um, just to give you an example of how desperate this was, I used to keep a journal. And every time we would do something together, I'd come home and I'd write about it in the journal. So it was this journal to us. It was never about me. It was always about her. This relationship was truly the, the, the center of my universe. Um, and when that all comes crashing down, your, your world ends in a way. Um, and I thought, you know, I have this journal, and, and I'd planned on giving it to her, and I was going to propose to her down the line, because of course we were going to get married. Um, but I thought maybe this journal could, could save this relationship. Um, so I gave it to her, and uh, it, it didn't save the relationship. Um, <laughs> Uh, it actually, but I would still, I was still in it. I would still try to make it work, even though th- that was the first act of infidelity. But three or four later, um, I was still thinking, ah, you know what? We could, we could make this work. Again, like the center of my world was completely outside of myself. And then I came to the reali- realization that if the center of my world is out there, not a part of myself, then I need to refocus. I need to really get happy with myself and not have my happiness dependent on, on something outside of myself. And then reflecting on that, I thought like, wow, my, my, my poor parents this whole time, I've really cast them aside, all these friends from high school aside, for, the, for, the, for this relationship that had been going on for quite a while now. Uh, so, so I finally broke it off for, it, it, for real this time. Um, and I decided I needed to commemorate this occasion um, so, so I hosted a funeral um, for our relationship, and, and I invited all of my family who I'd been neglecting for all of these years when I was so all-consumed by this relationship. So 
I actually sent out actual invitations. There, there was, there was a picture of the paint, paint the Poussin painting, the Et in Arcadia Ego, where you know all the sad shepherds are are crying over the, this tombstone in paradise. Um, and there was a whole, there, there were readings, there were various readings. I was going to give the homily. Um, and and I, there was this big um, uh, casket, which was, a, uh, which was this big box where I just put all of my shit from our relationship. So it's like all the love letters and all of the gifts. And so my, my stepfather and my stepbrother were the pallbearers, so they carried this, they carried this box they carried this box out to the, to the backyard where I had been slaving away for hours just digging a hole that had to be substantive enough to fit this r pretty large sized box. So I just, you know, I'm sweating and I'm dirty and I'm crying. Um, and my, my, so my, uh, I, I, my, I made my mom carry this like little boom box with a CD that was, that was playing um, uh, La Cremosa from the Mozart Requiem. So we're all, so my, my, my stepbrother and stepdad, they're carrying the casket and, and I'm leading them out there to this grave that I've dug. The song is playing. Once the song is over, we all sort of sit there in silence. And um, uh, I, I, read, I read this poem, it's called Love After Love by Derek Walcott, um, which is a phenomenal poem. Um, and then I, I welcome everybody to, to also throw something into the grave that was somehow representative of our relationship um, so that they could let go of that too. Um, and, and, and so, my mother, she's a, she's a psychologist, so she says something, you know, she says something that a psychologist would say. Um, uh, my, my stepfather, he's a psychologist too, so he says something a psych psychologist would say. But my stepbrother, he, he had a piece of paper, and, and, and he pulls it out, and it, and, it, and it says on it two words. I'm just like, two words? What? Tell me more, Adam. What, did, what does that mean? And he said... You dated her for three years, and the most I ever heard from her were two words. <laughs> so he throws that into uh, he throws that into the to the grave there, and we all take turns taking the dirt and shoveling it over, and I dust our hands off and and I leave. Um, and I think the words of that Derek Wolcott poem are really words I go back to this day when I think about that, and it is. Give your heart back to itself, to the stranger that has loved you all your life, who you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Thank you. That was Luke Rodehorst. Luke has written one haiku every day for the past 2,997 days and counting. He and his wife, Lily, have two kids, August and Eliza, who are often the subject of his haikus. When he's not thinking about poetry, he helps sports leagues, Broadway shows, and performing arts organizations tell better stories through his work at Google. I could barely get through that bio because I'm so in love with that story. I can't describe my love for the story Love After Love. It was incredible. Up next on the podcast, Katiana Cicerone tells a story. 
We met Kat through the Moths Education Program, where we craft stories with high school students. And she told this story at our first ever education showcase in Brooklyn just a few months ago. The theme of the night was Betwixt and Between. Here's Kat, live at the Moth. My family is originally from Haiti, and I am the youngest out of three beautiful daughters. (laughs) I am also the first to be born in America. Now, growing up in kindergarten, you know, I was the most curious, enthusiastic, energetic kid you could ever meet. And I was always asking questions. And whenever I got the answers to them, I always wanted to share it with somebody, whether it be my friends, my family, especially my mom. However, Sometimes that would be a bit of a challenge because me and her had a language barrier between us. Now, of course, she spoke the basics of English and I spoke the basics of Haitian Creole, but there were times where I wouldn't be able to understand her and she would be asking me to do something for her. I'd be like, what? What are you saying? I don't understand. And if you have Caribbean parents, you would understand that they get irritated pretty quickly. So that resulted in me getting a butt whooping sometimes. And of course, so that led to my sisters and my dad being the translators for us. If one wasn't there, then the other one would translate. However, sometimes, you know, my family's very busy. And if nobody was there, then sometimes we would just walk past each other in the hallway like it was a ghost town and not say anything to each other at all. And you can imagine how frustrating that is, especially for a kid who's in kindergarten, because I just wanted to tell my mom everything, like how I learned two plus two is four and not eight, and how I mix red and blue, which makes purple, and how I learned how to jump rope, because I'm telling you, I was the worst jump roper known to mankind ever. (laughs) And so that was so important for me. But because of the fact that I couldn't properly communicate with her, it was so frustrating. So... One day, I decided to ask my sisters and my dad to teach me Haitian Creole. That didn't last very long. Um, Like I said, I was very curious, and I asked way too many questions, apparently. Like, why is the sky blue, and why do grass grow out the ground and not the walls? And why is my name pronounced Katiana in English, but Katiana in Haitian Creole? And of course, you know, my sister's being busy getting ready for college and my dad just working a lot. Um, They were like, okay, child, you asking too much. (laughs) And they didn't completely give up on me. If I had questions, of course, they would answer. But I was basically left on my own. So my mom and my dad, like I said, worked long hours at work. And whenever they came back home, they always needed help around the house. And so me being the youngest, I would have to help them out. However, that was frustrating for me because that interfered with the time of me teaching myself Haitian Creole. So what I would do is I would lock myself in the bathroom, pretend like I had a stomach virus or something, (laughs) and just keep practicing. But they just kept calling me, so it didn't really work out all the time. So fast forwarding to January 1st, it is also known as Haitian Independence Day. And it is tradition to drink soup jumu. Pumpkin soup. Now, me being the picky little American that I was, I was like, ew, I don't want to eat that. Like, that looks nasty, yellow, and thick. Like, get out of (laughs) here. And so I asked my mom to make me something else. 
However, my siblings always made in front of me and were like, girl, you missing out. Like, this tastes so good. Like, look at all the meat and the soup. Oh my gosh. I was like, damn, girl, we really dry in this house. Like, let's really try this. When I had the soup for the first time, it's like, damn, girl, where you been all my life? <laughs> Tastes so good. And I remember us sitting at the table, and it was set up as if we were like a, like a mafia mob family. You know, like my dad sitting on one side, the devious kid sitting in the middle, and the wife sitting at the other end. And I remember sometime during dinner, my mom asked me in Haitian Creole, est-ce qu'il mange à bon? Is the food good? And for me, in that specific moment, everything kind of stopped because I was like, I understood what she just said. Like, I really understood what she just said. And me not realizing that I was kind of taking quite a while to respond back to her, my sisters were getting ready to say, okay, so she said, I was like, no, 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 it's okay, I got it. Like, I know what she said. And so I gathered up all that I was learning and teaching myself in the little bathroom. <laughs> and I said, oui, moi j'ai bon. Yes, the food is good. And the, the table kind of got quiet, like everybody's surprised. And you know, my mom's eyes are bulging out of her head, ready to pop out, but they're not gonna fall out yet. because <laughs> She's really surprised that I really responded to her. Of course, I have a lisp, and young when I was younger, it was really, really bad. So. I kind of mispronounced a couple of words, but she still understood what I said. You know, at that time, you expect your family to support you, but you know, no, my sisters being the sisters that they were, <laughs> they said, oh, the fake Haitian ought to speak Creole, oh. <laughs> and so that like tore down my little confidence as a kid. And however, that moment was very inspirational for me because that gave me a piece of hope and also showed me that I just broke down a piece of the language barrier that's stopping me and my mom from having a closer relationship. And now that's showing me that I can now take it a step further and continue to teach myself and completely tear it down. So now fast forwarding to today, I am proud to say that I can speak fluent Haitian Creole, and my mom. <laughs> and my mom can speak fluent English, and the language barrier no longer exists between us, and we are as close as close could ever be as a mother and daughter should. Thank you. That was Katiana Cicerone. Katiana is now a high school senior and she's co-directing a play called Lovesick by John Cariani for her school. She has plans to study psychology or sociology in college and minor in theater and film. We had a couple of questions for Katiana after listening to her story. Exactly how did she learn Creole at such an early age? We sat down with Kat backstage after she told this story live at The Moth. So my sisters always played Haitian music. We always listened to Haitian like televisions and dramas and movies. And also, um, although I wasn't really allowed to listen to the adult conversations that were spoken in Creole, I always kind of asked questions like, hey, what does this mean? How is this pronounced? Am I supposed to say it this way or the other way? And that's basically how I began to pick it up 
And you need to have patience, especially when it comes to learning a language. And also, especially if you don't start out as young as I did in my story. You know, kids are known for, like, you know, falling and getting right back up. And basically, that's what I did. However, it gets more frustrating when you get older. You kind of just give it all up. And that's something that I learned throughout the story with my family in real life. Storyteller Katiana Cicerone. You can learn more about the Moth's education program and all of our Moth programming on our website, themoth.org. That's it for this week on the Moth Podcast. If you're looking for more Moth or have a story that you'd like to pitch us, you can always visit our website, themoth.org. We're also on Facebook. On Twitter, you'll find us at The Moth, and Instagram is at Moth Stories. Until next time, from all of us here at The Moth, have a story-worthy week. Dan Kennedy is the author of Loser Goes First, Rock On, and American Spirit. He's also a regular host and storyteller with The Moth. Podcast production by Julia Purcell. The Moth Podcast is presented by PRX, the public radio exchange, helping make public radio more public at prx.org. Moth Story Slams are back. Held on Mondays beginning in February, join us for our weekly open mic story slam competition. February's theme is Love Hurts. Throw your name in the hat for a chance to tell your story or just come to listen to stories of a total eclipse of the heart, kicked to the curb by the people or places or things you love or used to love. Visit themoth.org slash events to buy tickets now. That's themoth.org slash events.